Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of the Green and Gold Rugby Podcast. My name is Rugby Reg and here we are up to episode 179 on the eve of something special. <laughs> Perhaps. Uh, look, big show for you tonight obviously. Super Rugby season preliminary rounds are over and we have our six finalists. We'll obviously get into that in a little bit more detail later on. But before we do, we're going to dive into another very special Rugby World Cup Legends podcast for you. Once again, brought to you by the Reds Long Lunch, which will be held at the Brisbane Convention and Exhibition Centre on the 16th of July, just a couple of days before the Wallabies take on the Springboks at Suncorp Stadium. The Reds Long Lunch has always been a fantastic event and it is sure to be again this year with some legendary guests. If you're downloading and listening to this podcast, then you clearly love your rugby. And I'm guessing you enjoy listening to some of the greats of the game talk about their memories. Well, that's what you're going to get at the Long Lunch. I'll be honest with you, there are two players I try to get on this podcast that I just couldn't make it work with, and they were David Campisi and Ben Tune. Well, guess what? They'll be at the Reds' long lunch, as will Bobby Skinstead from the Springboks. You love when Bob Dwyer writes in the blog? Well, guess what? He's there too, as is Sir Graham Henry. Don't know what the word is for a collection of rugby luminaries, but there it is for you. I was there last year at the event when Sir Graham was on and, and heard him speak and I can honestly say he was bloody hilarious. So get to regsrugby.com.au for more details or click on the link in our homepage and get yourself a table for some awesome tickets. One of the guests that was at that Reds, Reds Long Lunch last year is a guest is our next guest on this uh, podcast series. And when you talk about legends of the Wallabies and legends of the Rugby World Cup, then discussion doesn't take long until you get to this man. A few weeks ago, we heard from the 1991 World Cup winning captain, and tonight we hear about the 1999 World Cup winning captain, John Eels. John, it's an absolute privilege to have you on the show. Thanks for joining us. It's a pleasure, Reg. John, uh, we want to obviously focus on, you're involved in uh, three World Cups, we want to focus on the two winning ones. So let's start way back in 1991, which was also the year of your debut, um, that I think your, that first test of the year versus Wales at Ballymore. Can you remember the feeling of being in the Wallaby camp at that time, you know, as a rookie, but as also, you know, a significant year for Australian rugby? I remember it really well. Um, I think, yeah, we didn't know how significant a year it would be, of course, at the start when I first came into the camp. But I remember going to the camp for the first time and, you know, obviously I had aspirations to to play for the Wallabies that year and to uh, to maybe go to the World Cup, but I probably never realised that uh, there would be such a good year. What about amongst some experienced guys? You had that core group who were there in 87 in, in Far Jones and Campo and, and Noddy Liner and Simon Poitovin. Um, was there much talk about the 87 campaign at all and, and, and what needed to be righted from there or was it all focused on that year? You know what, the, the, it's, it's funny, I don't think I've ever been asked that and I've never really thought about it. I think... 87 was so far out of all of their minds that yeah. it wasn't, you know, that it just wasn't relevant. Uh, like, obviously, it was relevant from an experience perspective. But for that group of people going through that campaign, it just wasn't relevant at all. Mm. Um, yeah, it was never, never something that was brought up in team yeah, okay. meetings or, or anything like that. Um, 
but uh, yeah, but but certainly the experience of those guys, like you mentioned, Nick and Michael Liner, and yeah, then there was Poido and Steve Cutler. Uh, yep. He played one test on that that trip. Um, then you had other guys who had been a part of the team for in more recent history, guys like Brendan Nasser, yep. Rod McCall. So just these guys just had so much experience, and it, and it was wonderful to be able to turn turn to your side and see them and, and just be able to lean off their experience a lot of the time. Yeah. Now, I talked about you playing your debut. Uh, let's talk about your debut test. What, what are your memories from that? It was obviously, uh, you know, first test very special. It was a, an absolute shellacking of the Welsh team. Obviously, all fond memories. Absolutely fond memories. Uh, yeah, as a kid growing up, I never believed I'd play for Australia. And I think... Yeah, there's always has to be, while you work hard, there's always an element of luck that goes into it. And I, I was fortunate how, how things fell for me and uh, had the opportunity to play that that first test. And even though we won by a lot of points that day, you still, it never felt easy. Like, it felt like a test match. It was it, it was hard. You're, you're running around. It was the, the fastest game I'd ever played in my life at right. that stage. And a lot of that was probably... Just uh, you looked around you and the, the group of players that were playing around you, the fact you're playing for your country, um, it uh, it was a pretty special day. I'll, I'll never forget it. And amongst all the different moments that I was fortunate to have in the in the Wallaby jersey, that one will always stand alone as as very as particularly special for, because it was the first. Yeah, wonderful. Now, it was interesting that team really gelled quite quickly that year. You talk about the big win over Wales, and sure, they weren't at their best, but you, you backed it up with a, a quality performance versus England and then a, a, a very memorable win over the All Blacks in Sydney. It's interesting because you had another couple of rookies alongside you and Marty Roebuck and Rob Edgerton, um, but you still looked to gel very quickly. Any key elements behind that? What, what you can explain how that was? A lot of good combinations at that team, I guess. I think there was a couple of factors that went into that that made it easier to do that back in 1991 than it would in, in 2015. Uh, the, the, the first one was that that's the core of that test team had played together for a number of years. They'd been through some fairly tough times and they were just emerging out of that really tough period where they struggling to beat New Zealand and they just beat them in the in the game in, in a great victory in at the, the third test in nineteen ninety. And so that gave them a lot of confidence. And then into that team, as you mentioned, there was you know, Marty, myself and, and Edjo debuted that, that game in Brisbane. But we debuted into a team in reasonably strong combinations of our own. So I had played with Rod McCall all that year and a fair bit the year before as well. Um so, so you know, Marty and and Rob Edgerton were in the in the Waratahs team that had a fair bit of success that year. So we we came into some fairly, uh, you know, we came within solid combinations into that team, and we're only blending together two teams back then, yeah, uh, yeah. rather than the five Australian teams that we blend together now. Yeah, okay. Well, like I said, you had a, a fair run in. Uh, to your test series, and I've talked to we've talked to some of our previous guests, and in in Liner and Far Jones and Porto 
about those amazing matches, England, New Zealand. I haven't talked too much about the next game, the, the, the loss in Auckland, which would be your first test loss. But what are your memories of that game? That was a, a, obviously a fairly dour affair, uh, wet weather, if I recall correctly. And, and um, also, you know, a bit of a, a, a wake-up, not a wake-up call, but a, perhaps a turning point for the team as well. I think it was an important game for us uh, in, in that, that it was the only game we lost that year. Uh, we won nine out of the ten tests we played. Uh, and but it, but it was an important one for us because it really uh, hammered home how fine a line there is between winning and losing. And we had beaten New Zealand in Sydney the week before, two weeks before, and now we're heading towards what was potentially the Bledisloe Cup. We missed out on that. So... It really just left us that, that bit hungrier, I think, for the World Cup. If we went to the World Cup, having won the Bledisloe Cup, certainly it would have given us the confidence and we were focused. But there was just that sense of well, a bit of anger, a bit of discontentment, mm. uh, yeah, that determination, if you like, that we're not going to miss out because of uh, you know, a few slack moments again. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's move forward now to the, to the World Cup, and our opening game was against Argentina. You actually played number eight this game. Uh, you know, we'd lost Timmy Gavin um, prior to that final Bledisloe game. Uh, what are your recollections of playing number eight in that game? Well, I only played two tests as number eight, so I think that probably said <laughs> both, both volumes of the success I had at number eight. Um yeah, it was. We're going through a period of time losing Tim Gavin in between those two bodies like up tests was a massive blow because he was such an important part of our side. He he, he gave it a certain hardness, but he also gave it a certain soul as well. He was a very special guy to play with, Gavin, a great friend to everyone. Um, so he was shattering for the whole team to you know, to lose him from that team. Uh, and then they were probably struggling a bit, thinking who who should replace. Gavin number eight, and there was this period where they were thinking, oh, let's let's build this great line out and have a second rower in the back row. But I was never really suited, and particularly in that, at that stage, to the style of running and and bustling play that uh, that a number eight would would hopefully bring to a team. If you look at some of the great number eights of that era, you're looking at guys like Buck Shelford and you know, Tim Gavin was outstanding, mm-hmm. Dean Richards. And Zindan Brook, very different style players to to what I was, and and I hadn't played number eight really for aside from the odd game for a number of years. So it was a big it was a big change, and you know, I, I was glad to move back to the second <laughs> row. Actually, I do remember a good pass. To, you set up Camper with one pass from the back of the scrum. There it wasn't the wasn't the most direct pass, but I, I remember Camper running off one of your passes to uh, score a try. Yeah, I think the pass was supposed to go to Mick, but uh, <laughs> yes. it was such a bad pass that Campo picked it up and made it look good in the end. It certainly wasn't a tactical move. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you, you missed the next game versus Samoa, but you, like you said, you're back at lock for the following game versus Wales, which which is a game, you know, Argentina, you didn't have it all your own way. It definitely wasn't the case versus Samoa in another uh, wet game at Pontypool, but Wales, again, things started to click um, was there any sort of renewed focus It was after those first two games? Did you realise you had to get things back on track or were you always fairly confident where you were moving on to? Well, playing Wales at, at Carter Farms Park for me was a bit like a dream. Mm. You know, I'd seen the Grand Slam Wallabies, Andrew Slack's team, uh, beat beat the Welsh there and, you know, the great moments that, that, that came from that. 
And I'd watched so many, in those days, uh, the Five Nations matches at uh, at Cardiff Arms Park. And it really, for, for a young kid growing up, if you could play at Cardiff Arms Park, you know, you've, you've, <laughs> you've lived a pretty Achieved, good rugby yeah. life. And, and so there was this opportunity. We knew the Welsh would be so much harder there than they were in Brisbane, but, but that was probably, yeah, certainly up until that point, that was, that was one of our better performances that year, in a, in a good year. Um, but I think uh, we, we, we went into that game nervous because we knew we had to win and, and play well, but we came out of it with a fair bit of confidence which didn't really look after us all that well the next week. Yeah, yeah. well, let's talk about that. And, and uh, I'm, I'm interested from your perspective, this has been a, a great part that I've enjoyed from this series and in terms of speaking to the various people involved at various levels. And we've spoken to Michael Lyon, and he was obviously key to that, that last uh, sort of five or so minutes of that the quarterfinal versus Ireland. We've spoken to Nick Farr-Jones, who was on the bench at this stage, having gone off injured. Now, you, as a, you know, at that stage, you played maybe half a dozen tests um, in your first year with the Wallabies. What was that experience like for you, that final 10 minutes when, when Gordy Hamilton ran away to score, and then what resulted after that? Well, I, I was shattered. Like, I was thinking, uh, you know, this is the quarterfinal. If you, if you lose the quarterfinal, you're on a plane home the next day, and I mean the next day. So I was pretty inexperienced, and I was thinking when he scored that try, I was thinking we're home. You know, we're on the way home. And thankfully, there were cooler and more experienced heads around me. And Michael Liner was one of them. Yeah, actually, was the central one of them. He went to the referee, said, "How long to go?" And then came back and said, "Guys, there's four minutes to go. We're not going to go for a penalty. We're not going to go for a field goal. We want to score a try." And, and he said, we're going to kick the ball deep, force them to kick into touch, and we want to play this move. And it was wonderful leadership by Michael, and it, and it created this opportunity to... He really planted the vision in our mind. So then all we had to do was go out there and do it. And you know, we did it even to the extent that Michael scored the try himself <laughs> in the corner. Yeah. And you know, I think without that moment, without that leadership, we wouldn't have won the World Cup. Oh, that was an amazing experience, um, and it flowed on to yet another one, the next test versus New Zealand, another all-black test for you, and and again, um, uh, a performance, particularly in that first half, I, I guess the second half was more about defence, but that first half, you really, the pack in particular, I remember these, the vision of the pack just clearing out over those rucks and, and just blowing the all-blacks away, um, such a, a strong performance by the pack. Uh, in that game, was there was it you know another step close for you guys? You knew this was a let alone being the All Blacks, but this was your semi final. It just um, one step closer to your ultimate goal. Yeah, we were all really angry at how we almost gave it away in that quarter final. And training that week leading to the All Blacks was tough, and it was dirty, and it was <laughs> like we got down and dirty. I don't mean it was dirty between ourselves, yeah. but. Yeah, everyone was dirty at themselves, and uh, and and it led to some you know, fairly vicious scenes at, at training, but positively vicious scenes yep. at training. And uh, you know, we went into that game, and I think it's often been said that that first half of footy against the All Blacks was possibly the best half of footy that an Australian team had played in 10 or 15 years, and it just went so well for us. We might have been up 13-3 or something. Yeah. Break. I can't remember exactly. It was, it was in that vicinity. 
Um, but we had scored three tries. Canberra had scored two great tries. We had had a fair bit of dominance in, in that game. But I remember, of course, Campo's tries were... Oh, sorry, Campo had scored one and gave the pass to Tim Horan to score. The other very, very special one. But for me, the most special moments of that half came in the in the dying seconds just before half-time. And no one would have really noticed this. But In fact, I've spoken to some of the teams since then, but they didn't really notice much either. But I, I remember we had a couple of scrums right on our line and in vulnerable position the all black scrum was good and if we had dropped it there or even given them a penalty or given them the chance to score then that second half may have looked very very different if they went into half time with a bit more of a sniff yeah, wow. but we, we held these scrums and I remember packing behind you and McKenzie and I don't think I've ever pushed as hard yeah. for as long in my life as yeah. I did in those, in those couple of scrums and I was just one of the eight guys doing exactly the same thing and we held those scrums they didn't score went into half time with that lead and you know this, the second half we we held on it wasn't a we wouldn't say it was a brilliant open second half but you know we were able to control the game yeah fantastic memories there john and let's move on to the next one the final um 12-6 by you guys and, and you know a fantastic i guess period to the year um but it, you know, World Cup finals really are the the, the showpiece show. What, what are your memories from this? Was it um, was it an intense game? Was it a fast game? What are your recollections? Very tense, and I suppose the, the big thing about playing in a World Cup final, you're so aware of the enormity of the yeah. occasion, and this is it. Like it's a final, there is nothing after this, and uh, so you go into that game having spent a huge amount of nervous energy you know, in, the, in the lead up to it and but you never worry about having enough energy to play the game because you're going to be fine like mm. the adrenaline, adrenaline will get you through um, your sheer competitiveness and will to, to play the game will get you through but you know that it's, uh, it's going to be a pretty tense affair and it was and my memories you know we, we scored the one try um we probably, I think, had the best of the game. I think in 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 total, uh, it was a you know, good tight win in the end. Um, but my my greatest memories is obviously the, the relief at the full time hooter, mm. and then getting back in the change room and just being totally exhausted. Yeah. Yeah. Drained of all energy. Like it was it was a great moment, but all I wanted to do was just sit down for a second. <laughs> That's amazing. That's fantastic. Um, well, that was our first of a World Cup, and, and and you know one of the defining moments of Australian rugby. As reigning champions, we went to '95. We're not going to dwell on this, but that was a, an amazing tournament in its own right. Um, significant for the the reintroduction of the all uh, sorry for the Springboks, and obviously being hosted in South Africa. What was your takeaway from our performance in that tournament, John? Um, obviously, getting bundled out by England in the quarterfinal. Yeah. But- the takeaway for our performance was we just underperformed and it was, it was such a disappointing result for us because you know, we had the potential, we had the team, we, we went in, we probably played a few guys that were a bit injured, but yeah, we, we left that tournament not having fulfilled our potential uh, and that's, yeah, that's the thing that just eats at you, I suppose. Mm. Um, yeah, you just never... You, know, you can never... 
you know, you can lose a game and you can live with a loss, but I, I don't think you can live with uh, as comfortably with having not performed to your potential. Yeah, yeah, okay. All right, well, let's let's move that on from that and, and look into 99. And I mentioned 91, you're having such a settled team. There's only really uh, Tim Gavin's injury and the Samoa game, you fiddled with a few things, but it was pretty consistent. That wasn't the case in 99, and, and you were one of a handful of players who missed a, a fair bulk of that season. What was your uh, involvement with the squad at that time when, when you were injured and on the sidelines? Were you intimately involved with the team still, I guess, as captain or at, at least the, the incumbent captain? You were still right there with them? Uh, look, I wasn't. And uh, I did come into a couple of camps briefly, but I think really the philosophy in those days was you, you know, you, they only brought the people into the squad, who into the camp, who were a chance of playing that weekend and in a sense that wasn't a bad thing. There was Steve Larkham and myself yep. were both uh were both out for a large part of that, that domestic season. I don't think either of us played a test match in that domestic part no, of the season and no. and Alan Finnegan actually missed yep. a fair bit of it That's as right. well. And Matty Burke was laid back. Yep. Matt Burke was laid back. So yep. I think it's um yeah, that we're away, but being away sort of makes you hungrier. It uh, lets the team settle and focus without you. Um, and then if you can get back in time, well, that's that's a bonus. If you can't, well, the team aren't going to you know die wondering what they could do without you. And I think that uh, that was actually a very good step from Rod. Yeah, okay. So let's look at the comparison. So you're a rookie in 91 and then you came into 99 as captain. Did you take any memories or, or, or learnings or, or approaches from 91 into the 99 campaign or was it just too different, professional age, all that sort of stuff? There's, there's always learnings. And I think a couple of times through the tournament, we uh, we really reflected on different learnings from other World Cups. And for us, there was a... Uh, a number of us that had been there in 91, but uh, just as importantly, a number that had been there in 95. And uh, yeah, I remember before the quarterfinal, uh, Tim Horan spoke to us you know, as a group and just reflected. He said, you know, remember the last two quarterfinals. There was the one where we fell over the line in Ireland and the one where England mm. beat us by a field goal in, in Cape Town. And it is a fine line. You know, things go slightly one way or the other and you can you can win or lose. And we didn't want to be ending it there. So that that was a good lesson that went into that quarterfinal against Wales. Um I think also the you know, the semi um actually it was Tim Gavin spoke to us before we played that semi final. He was a classic wallaby that day and yeah, I think having someone like that in the room speaking to you, you knew that when he was at his best, he got injured just before the World Cup and should have been a part of a World Cup victory, mm. but but wasn't. And moments like that just add that extra bit of responsibility to you, I think, that extra extra level of understanding of how lucky you are to be participating there and you didn't want to leave it to chance. Yeah, and I want to talk about that semi, obviously, pretty soon. I just want to touch on that, that Ireland game, which is one of the preliminary rounds, but also featured two fairly significant events that could have threatened to, I guess, derail uh, the the Wallabies campaign. And um, Phil Kearns, I think he was injured in that match, which would see him fly home 
soon after and such a critical part of the team. But also uh, Todd I getting into a bit of uh, fisticuffs with Trevor Brennan there and being suspended for a couple of weeks, which would miss the, that, that quarterfinal as well. Uh, did that throw the team, can you recall? I mean, uh, did you have to circle the wagons again, get back on focus, or they were all, all pretty um, uh, aware of, of their roles going forward? Well, I think the good thing about that team is we were very composed and whatever got thrown at us, we just dealt with and moved on. We were very practical. We didn't dwell. And you know, some people would say you lack some sentimentality, but uh, yeah, well, it wasn't the case. Like, Tansy is a great guy and such an important part of Wallaby teams over such a long period of time. And I'll never forget when I first played how supportive he was of me. And uh, so when he got injured and went home, that was... It was disappointing, um, uh, and then then it was up to who do you go with Michael Foley or Jeremy Ball, and we knew we had people there that were capable of it. We just had to uh, you know, have them you know, be able to step up at the right time. Um, and then Todd, I well, hmm. you know, you, I think you to, to to get the best out of a physical game like rugby, sometimes you've got to play on the edge, hmm. and you know, if you don't have guys that are going to play on the edge, then you, you're never going to really dominate in those environments. And sometimes you're going to fall on the wrong side of that edge and sometimes you get on the right side. And Toto, unfortunately, was just on the wrong side. So he had to pay his, do his time and then come back. Did he come back in the quarters? Or yeah, yeah, he missed the quarter. So he missed the Wales game. Tion Strauss played and then came back in that semi-final versus South Africa. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about that South African game and obviously another very famous game that culminated in the, the Steve Larkin drop goal. But what about that moment of extra time, John? I mean, as a, in a semi-final, again, you've experienced these tight games um, uh, previously, talking, I guess, previous World Cups. What did you have to say to the team? Was there much to say or was it, again, you know, you, you've got that fairly senior team, a smart team. Was there much that had to be said leading into extra time? Uh, I think what what was the most telling thing there is as soon as that, that kick went over from South Africa, all of us ran to the sheds. Yeah. Like we, we, were, yeah, we knew what was happening. Okay, it's extra time. Um, straight in the change rooms and uh, yeah, dealing with the issues. And uh, yeah, I, I think, I can't remember exactly who spoke and what was said at the yeah. time, but I know that we had a yeah, had our routines, yeah, the doctors would have checked us for injuries and how's everyone going, cramps, whatever, and there probably would have been a few of those. And, um, yeah, George was always great for, for a few words in those moments, and I think I actually do, you know, now, now that I think about it, I do recall, you know, some of the, the things he was saying about about the focus we needed, the focus on the execution. And... Um, yeah, that that sort of clarity in a moment like that is really important. Yeah, okay. And then finally, let's move on to the, the grand final. I guess the grand final week preparation, um, there would have been an anticipation, if not an expectation, that you'd be following, uh, playing New Zealand, and, and obviously they uh, lost to France in their semi-final. Did that take any regrouping of the team, or, or they were just as focused... Um, because of the nature of the World Cup final, regardless of who they play? Yeah, there was no need to really focus yeah, the guys because you're playing in a World Cup final, you've got that opportunity, you're just not going to waste it. But but there needed to be a total re- redirection of our thoughts because we had anticipated playing against New Zealand. 
management had started to prepare to play against New Zealand, we didn't. We knew we knew and understood New Zealand very well. We hadn't played France for uh, anywhere near as much mm. as we played New Zealand, so we needed to to do a lot more analysis. And we had seen what they did to the to the All Blacks. We knew what they were capable of, and we just had to start to plan to say, how can we be the stumbling block for for, for this team, and how can we play our game and not get distracted by theirs and win this game. Yeah, okay. And obviously you went on to win it, and, and, and again, um, uh, wonderful scenes of celebrations there um, in some of the fondest we recall as rugby fans. But it's now 16 years later, 2015, we're entering um, a World Cup, and we haven't won one since. So I guess the simple question, John, is can we win this year, and how are we going to do it? We can definitely win, and... Uh... And, and I think we need to make sure that uh, you know, we, we go in with that confidence. But it, it's it's not going to be easy. Like you wouldn't say if you looked at all the teams and how they're prepared around the world, our preparation hasn't been the most stable. Yeah. Uh, but but we do have some very very good players. We've got some smart players, and, and most of the players you would assume will come from. Uh, you know, perhaps the Brumbies and the, the Waratahs, you know, if you look at form. And there's been some players playing very well on the other team. So we're actually going to have, despite picking the team from five states, we're actually going to bring some pretty strong combinations into this World Cup. Also, I think uh, Michael Check is very clear about how he wants to play the game. He uh, had time with them on the tour last year. He has worked with a lot of the, the Wallaby squad with the Waratahs. Yep. Yeah, you know, they're comfortable with him, they like him. And so we're going to have that, that element of being coached by a coach who has had a lot of success, understands how to win big tournaments and never a World Cup, but, uh, but big tournaments. And uh, that, that'll, that'll be good for us. Okay, great. That gives us some hope. But let's look at your position now, John. Locke, who would you pick? as our starting locks uh, for the Wallaby teams, and, and who would you expect to be there as backup? Oh, it's pretty hard to say, Joe. I reckon, like, it's... You know, we've actually had a lot of guys who are performing very well in, in that position. Unfortunately, Rob Simmons had a late start to the season, mm. and uh, that doesn't make it easy. But you know, the good thing is that there's quite a few guys to choose from, and, and it will be interesting who they go with in that position. Sam Carter hopefully will be back. Um, I think he, you know, we're unfortunate not to have him running around at this time of year, but I understand he hopefully will be back for the World Cup. And then also you've got the likes of Will Skelton, who you know, lately has been pretty much playing 80 minutes mm. of footy each game, whereas previously he was more either a or, or going off after a bit of time. Yeah. All right, John, look, well, that'll wrap us up for this evening. Really appreciate your time. It's um, We know you're a busy man. It's a big year for Australian rugby, but uh, these have proved uh, immensely popular podcasts, and it's it's great to hear another perspective on those two tournaments, our first dual World Cup winner. So, John, uh, really appreciate your time, and we uh, wish you best of luck for the rest of the year. No worries, Reg. Pleasure. And there you go, nobody himself, another very enlightening chat and a very, very generous one 
of that. Close to 30 minutes with Eelsie there. I pretty, feel pretty lucky about that one. Um, pretty lucky to have uh, spent all this time with these legends, and uh, I know we uh, appreciate that from Green and Gold Rugby and all our listeners. Um, but uh, we're going to keep the luck going tonight. It's uh, a very important time of season, as I said, um, as befitting a show with John Eels as a special guest and to mark the start of the Super Rugby final season, the naming of the first Wallaby squad of the year. We've obviously brought our A-team along tonight. Um, and here they are with me, Dave Jefferson, cyclopath from uh, New South Wales. Hey, Dave. Good evening. And Brumby Steve from Canberra. Hey, mate. Pretty good, thanks. How are you? Excellent. Two Super Rugby finalists with us. It's only appropriate, as you would expect. You guys, obviously, you've been here all season. You've set the standard from the start. Consistency throughout. It's only appropriate that you're here at the business end of the season on the podcast as well as the Super Rugby season. So uh, I welcome you. I'm I'm obviously here as the sole Reds representative. Probably, you know, a a similar representation as to the Reds season, you know where many people, given my ample experience, was probably expecting a little bit more performance-wise and, and to deliver a little bit more excitement and uh, outcomes. But, you know, we get what we get. And uh, in the end, it was just probably something lacking on my end, perhaps a subscription to Fox Sports. But uh, And I think it's appropriate also that we're lacking representatives from the Rebels in Force. Um, i tell you what, those Victorians, they, they talked it up early on the season, even on early on this week. There's plenty of signs of aggression and intent. Uh, Oz, Timmy and, and Daz were, were keen to come on and, and uh, voice their displeasure at various activities this week. But as the week progressed, they fought, you know, slowly edged into the background, much like the Rebels this season. And unfortunately for the force and our Western Australian listeners, just no one was able to stick their hand up this season and take control. It's almost as if the pressure, once it was all applied, they went running. So... Our podcast uh, uh, talent tonight pretty much typifies our season, but it's great to have you both here, guys. Final season's now getting serious. Are you excited, guys, Dave? Oh, I'm excited. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm a bit relieved, too, because uh, as you might remember a few weeks ago, I boldly predicted that I wasn't too confident of the task yep. getting to the finals. Absolutely. So um, I, I, you used the word consistent before. I wouldn't necessarily be using it in the same sense as the TARS just yet because even last uh, the last match which we'll get onto in a minute, in a minute was uh, hardly consistent but um, yeah I'm, I'm happy they're there and um, I think we've perhaps been a bit lucky to end up at number one but obviously take it. It's a remarkable uh, competition and, and all those little intricacies including the bonus points and the conference system adds a lot of discussion points and, and, and uh, you know interesting tweaks, tweaks but uh, it, it makes it fascinating towards the end. Let's get into it and we'll have a chat to you guys about each of these games. The results from the weekend and we'll fly through these you know uh, the, the top six set we need to look forward and we've got a lot of stuff to discuss but the Highlanders did a number on the Blues which I think most people expected 44 to 7. This next game which didn't mean much in the end uh, but a good uh, end of the season for the Force uh, down in the Rebels, 13-11. to 11. Uh, Steve, uh, from your perspective, what was your reading? It was, uh, wasn't the most uh, enticing game of rugby. No, it definitely wasn't. Uh, at one stage, it looked like Captain Snooze may have missed an opportunity to sponsor <laughs> that game because uh, it did look at stages that it was just two teams who were just wanting to get the game over and done with and, and uh, finish their season and send their respective players who were heading overseas off. Um, with a win, and uh, amazingly, the force have have managed to do that, which is it's good for some of those players who are heading overseas. Um, but the the game, it just never really got into much. And uh, like I said, I think it summed up both those teams' season. And disappointing for the Rebels because uh, their last 
part of the season. I think they lost four of five and were pretty lucky to get over the Bulls. So I think um, it just summed up the end of their season for them, to be honest. Yeah, Dave, it's an interesting one. I think a few people had hoped that given the pressure might have been off in this game, uh, not too much to play for, that the, the you know the reins might be released a little bit. We might see a bit of an open affair, but it didn't end that way. And I guess, again, it's a local derby. The Australians don't want to give anything up against each other. Uh, How did you read this one? Well, as you say, yeah, it, it, I was I was hoping it'd open up, but I'm, I guess um, the realistic side of me thought, well, I you just you won't believe it till you see it from uh, Michael Foley coach team that they suddenly yeah. start becoming expansive, and I think they stuck to what they know, which looks fair enough. That's what they know, but you know, it's it is pretty it can be pretty hard to watch. Um, there are there was some few good passages to play, uh, a couple of good tries. Yeah, they're good tries. I mean, yeah. um, and just from a player perspective, I, I, it was interesting to see Crawford actually getting a run because there's been a little bit of discussion about um, why he might not have got a bit more time or opportunity down there. In, and I know he's been injured a bit, but um, I thought he had a good game, yep. which was good to see. Um, and they scored a couple of nice tries, but uh, but... Gee, I tell you what, it was. I think Steve was on the money with the captain sneeze comment. It was pretty hard to watch. Well, there was a great comment by, uh, and his name alludes me at the moment, one of the uh, Sydney journos who tweeted during this game that um, going from that New Zealand local derby on a Friday afternoon to an Australian local derby is like switching from Game of Thrones to Hey Dad. And uh, I think, that, and I wish I could remember who it was, so I could give him full credit. Yeah, that was um, Jamie Pandaram. Oh, it was. Uh, it was. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Um, but yeah, great line and and, um, and and completely relevant, particularly on this situation. Um, let's move on though. And uh, next day, it was your boy Steve, the Brumbies versus the Crusaders, with the the Brumbies going down twenty four thirty seven, with Namani Nadolo continuing his habit of, of wreaking havoc against Australian teams, scoring another couple of tries. Um, against your ruck monsters at the Brumbies, mate. What's your what's your read? Well, all I can say is thank God the Brumbies were already in the final before they had went into that game because they've uh, haven't done quite well in the last couple of years with the last uh, game of the regular season, and it's cost them in the past, particularly two years ago they lost to the Force, and that meant they had to go That's into the right, finals yeah. in very much the same instance this way going to South Africa. But uh, yeah, the money the dollar, what absolute monster he is! That and his two tries were. I don't really think it would have mattered who was trying to tackle him in some of those. Like, there's been a bit of comment about Robbie Coleman, not his technique wasn't so great, but um, I don't think it would have mattered who he who was trying to tackle him. And that second try, he scored off that little chip kick in the space of maybe I think he had about two meters, and the ball just yeah. happened to sit up yeah. beautifully for him. And uh, that was I think just before half time, and that sort of gave them enough confidence to know they could probably uh, get in front. Um, but yeah, the, the, in that second half, like that that game was probably, uh, in terms of the ball in play, it was one of the highest I've, I've seen for a while, particularly for the Brumbies. And um, they almost got got back at the end, yeah. and then it had to be that man, Richie McCaw. Like I know it was a penalty try, but uh, he had the final say in the game and uh, uh, kept the Brumbies out of um, top spot in the Aussie Conference. Yeah. Um... Nadal is an interesting one. It's one we might touch on as we get into more World Cup mode and weeks down the track. But the impact, he's playing with such confidence and and um, 
and flair at the moment that the impact he could have on that Fiji World Cup team uh, is quite significant, particularly if they get some of the other players around the world that they would hope, and which is particularly relevant for Australia because, again, they're, they're one of our um, opponents in our pool of death. So uh, you know, that's uh, something we'll follow up on uh, in the coming months. Uh, Dave, what was your perspective of this one, mate? Uh, well, I mean, I, it, was, it was a good game to watch. Um, I commented on the forum, I think, that... Um, there's a lot of teams pretty happy that the Crusaders aren't in the finals mm-hmm. because I, if there's, there's, I can't think of a team that should be more uncomfortable about playing um, as your own home game, if you know what I mean. I mean, yeah. I've never, they just have that ability to go and play away anywhere and lift and be just bloody hard to beat. So, you know, and they can always pull a game like that out. So. I wasn't completely surprised to see the Crusaders do that, but I did actually think the Brumbies were going to get up in that game. Um, so it was, uh, it was a pretty impressive effort from the Crusaders. And, and just talking about Nadal, I mean, everyone talks about his size and his difficulty to tackle, but the skills that he's got are just um, ridiculous for a guy that big. I mean, that, that's not the first one of those little right. dinky chip and chase tries he scored this year. Mate, it's remarkable. And he does it, yeah. he's, he's got an amazing ability to kick a ball in a narrow channel and, and, and keep it in. So he's he's a he's got some rare talents for a big guy. Yeah, it's amazing to see the development of that skill. So uh, uh, fun to watch. So, and we'll have to wait to that World Cup to see him uh, run around again. All right. Uh, next game was the Hurricanes, who uh, obviously would finish the season on top spot uh, uh, down in the Chiefs, 21-13. Um, before we get to the next Aussie encounter and the Waratahs doing a fairly significant number on a lacklustre Reds, 31-5. Dave, you were there. Uh, What was it like, mate? Uh, Well, it was... um, Rip in, mate. I'm open to it. I'm resigned to it, mate. What's that? I'm resigned to it. Just rip in. Go for it. No, I'm not going to rip in. I mean, look, I I was a little bit um, disappointed with the crowd, although... Having said that, that was the sort of crowd that they often get when they play that out at A and Z, and oh, that's yeah. often more than they get there, so probably can't complain. Um, the first half just didn't really get going. There was a lot of good defence from both both sides, and they, you know, they were certainly there wasn't any lack of physicality, mm. but um, it never really got going as much of a spectacle. But you just kind of got the feeling as the Waratahs have done to a lot of teams in the last couple of years that they do the back end of their matches is much better than it ever used to be. It used to be dire, you know, if, if they were, if they were behind at half time or they used to just fall, fall further back, but they seem to finish stronger. And once they actually got, they up the tempo, they up the physicality a bit. And then I think also once they've got some subs on, the quality of the subs and the speed of the play of the subs was just above what the Reds could do. Um, and, you know, they ran away with it in, in the end. So um, score on the scorecard, I guess it looks convincing, but, you know, it had some, some very good bits of play, but there were also some problems there for the Waratahs still. Yeah, it's interesting. It's um, I haven't done the analysis, and I should, but... It just feels there's been a, a high number of games this year that the Reds have been in it or close at half time, and uh, the second half just blows out. Um, whether it's a fitness thing or 
um, uh, you know, just that inability to regain momentum after half time. Um, is, uh, has been a, a significant factor this year and, and to be 3-0 down at half-time and then lose by 31-5 to five is uh, is probably pretty appropriate given the season and uh, I think most Reds fans feel pretty similarly. It's just a feeling of resignation, ironically, which is what a lot of us are waiting for as well. Um, but, uh, yeah, you know, I, I was expecting the, this, this sort of result. I was uh, pleasantly surprised at half-time but um, as the game went on, it was uh, uh, that feeling of, yep, finally it's happening. Dave, uh, your thoughts on this one? Oh, sorry, Steve, mate. Yeah, um, like you said, Reg, it was, it was interesting though. The Reds were in it at half time, and you thought maybe they were going to pull one out for uh, Horwell and Genny and, and yep. the others that were leaving. Um, but it's, I think it's, like you said, whatever's happened or being said at half time is either not being listened to by Reds players or they've just not registering or just want to do their own thing or, and or maybe on the other side, you can maybe say it's down to what, what Checker said at halftime. And we all know he's not scared to wield some sort of implement that his players, golf clubs or yep. axes or machetes or whatever. So maybe that's, uh, they're a bit worried about what they confront at the end of the game. But yeah, just that second half was like the Reds had switched off. And I think the substitution of James Slipper, I think he went off injured and that yeah. made a real difference. And then obviously the the yellow Tom, um, yellow card to Adam Thompson just uh, pretty sucked out any momentum they had or any chances they had of uh, pulling off an upset. Yeah, yeah, indeed. Um, and and so it was. Uh, look, moving to the South African games, obviously the Cheetahs beat the Bulls forty two twenty nine in a match that didn't mean much. In order this match, the thirty four Sharks thirty four defeating a a I guess almost a second string Stormers to twelve um, in a a risk that at, perhaps at halftime in that Reds-Waratahs game may not have uh, gone in their favour to the Stormers, but uh, as it resulted, uh, it was fairly insignificant in the overall uh, scheme of things. Um, so the final six, Hurricanes and Waratahs on top, so they both get the weekend off uh, this week, which is great timing for the Tars in particular, Dave, having, what is it, 10 games on the, on the run now? Yeah, well, that was the thing that was identified at the beginning of the season. was yep. always going to be um, a tough uh, streak to get through. So, well, we've come through it okay, I guess. But, yeah, so it's good to have that week off. Yeah, and so the the games this weekend uh, will be the Highlanders, Chiefs, and the Stormers, Brumbies. And we'll talk about those in a bit more detail soon. But let's get to our five burning questions for the week. And the first question is the obvious question. The preliminaries are finished. We're into the finals. Uh Who's going to win the thing, Steve? I reckon the Waratahs can go back to back, and that's just not Aussie, you know, bias in there at all. But I, I just think, like we just said, coming off ten games in a row, uh, it's one of the hardest things they've had to do. And it seemed like that game on Saturday was a bit disjointed, but I think it may have been down to that ten games, and just the week off will give them a bit of a refresh. And uh, you know, if they have beaten Hurricanes away, and not many teams have done that, so I think they've got the sort of momentum heading towards the finals. What about you, Dave? Ah, uh, well, putting on my completely rational hat, yeah. I, think, I think the Hurricanes would still be the favourites. Um, I think the Waratahs are a very good chance, and you wouldn't discount the possibility of. Um, somebody knocking the Hurricanes off before the final. Yeah, not I because, agree. Yeah. Not because they've looked particularly vulnerable, but it's just because the New Zealand teams, 
the good New Zealand teams have that habit of being able to lift against each other, and and you know, there's some quality in there. Yep. But the Highlanders and the Chiefs yeah. are good teams. So, you know, depending on how things play out, um, anything could happen. Yeah. So call. I think I think the Tars are a very good chance, but I still think the Hurricanes have to be the favourites. Yep. Yeah, no, that sounds reasonable. All right, moving up here to Queensland, and we've had a few chats about this, but it's the time's here. The season's over. Uh, we've, you know, the Reds have finished with a, a, a another big loss. We're set, finished this even in 13th position, as we did last year as well. The QAU undergoing this uh, high-performance review at the moment. That's results not due for another couple of weeks or so. Should we just be getting rid of Richard Graham now, or do we need to wait for this review? Dave, what do you think? I think the review's been done on the forum, hasn't it? They could just read that. <laughs> um, uh, I, I don't think there's a, I don't think there's any question. I think they should just get to the point. Um, but having said that, I guess after all the events of the last few years, they have to be seen to be going through the correct process of a review. Yeah. But uh, look, I, if if they come to any other conclusion, then. Geez, there's some there's some really bad problems going on up there if they if that's the conclusion of it. Yeah, that's a fear. Steve, thoughts? Yeah, I think at the moment they're just shuffling the deck chairs in the Titanic, aren't they? They just like uh, Dave said, the forum has uh, spoken, um, and <laughs> I think the I don't think the fans want to go back to the depths of a few years ago, and they've probably fresh in a lot of their minds. And I've heard of people who have bought memberships and have been to one game, and they said yeah. that was one too many. So I don't know if the Reds can risk the commercial side of that, of um, not having people turn up and voting with their feet. And at the moment, they want to get to, uh, just hurry it up and get on with it. All right, next question. We've had uh, a preliminary Wallaby squad picked this week, including the guys that aren't in the final, so Rebels, Reds, and Force players. Uh, Steve, to you first, mate. Who's the biggest shock omission from this Wallaby squad in your perspective? I'm going to go into bat for the Rebels fans here. Uh, Daz and Oztimi. Yeah. I reckon, say, maybe Lepetti Tamani uh, may have been unlucky. I know he's been uh, converted back rower, and that may have been a bit of a um, disadvantage against him because you know the Rebels play, I think, with five back rowers, sometimes four. And I just maybe think their end-of-season uh, form may have counted against them towards the end. All right. What about you, Dave? Yeah, he was on my list, I think. Um, I don't know whether it's perhaps because he's been, because of the injury on the weekend, whether that's a factor or not, I'm not sure. Um, I think the other one is Sturzaker. Um, mm-hmm. Having said that, it's hard to sort of say, well, you know, you'd clearly drop two out of, or, or one out of um, Genia or White. Mm. Um, so, He's, I think he's a little bit unlucky because he's played really well, but I guess when you look at the other people he's contending with, you know, um, they've all got more experience than him and they haven't necessarily been playing badly. So, you know, he's perhaps only slightly unlucky. Can't think of any other glaring ones for mine. Yeah. All right. Well, how about this one then? And this may be a simple one. The luckiest selection in the Wallaby squad. Who surprised you the biggest? Uh, Dave, keep going, mate. Faulkner. Oh yeah, okay. Well, I mean, I could go for the I could go for the popular vote and say Carmichael Hunt, but yep. um, but that doesn't actually surprise me that much. I, I I think there's there's a bit more upside with him that we don't know about yet. I just think with Faulkner, I mean, I just don't see where he's going to fit in. Um, 
I think there's too many that are fairly clearly ahead of him that for him to really be in a squad at this stage. Um, but, you know, you've got to pick a name, don't you? Yeah. It's a big squad, so there's obviously other benefits of having them there, you know, opposed training and all sorts of things So and learning. So, you know, there's upside there, but, yeah, I was a bit surprised to see his name there. All right, what about you, Steve? I'm going to go with the obvious and say Carmichael Hunt. Like he's <laughs> he's uh, had a very interesting year, to say the least, and I guess the only reason... One of the reasons he's been picked up there is the training camp's going to be in Brisbane, so he can hold the tackle back. <laughs> yeah, I think it's a fairly outlandish selection. I, I, I agree. Uh, the Faulkner's an interesting one, isn't it, Dave? I'm with you. I know, uh, I think I've read that Nick Styles is going to be looking after the set piece in this initial Wallaby camp, at least. So um, he'll get the chance to uh, to have some time under Styles. He would have coached him over at the force as well. Uh, but uh, you're right, I think as much as that, having the right number of props in the squad um, and there's not many others you could have selected uh, in terms of um, in terms of those two teams both false props uh, both Rebels props are there both Reds props are there maybe uh, Pet Cowan um, but regardless um, that's what they needed okay final question alright once again we've had the World Rugby Body come out and announced uh, laws they want enforced better before a World Cup so focus has got to be on malls to scrum feed tie tackles these are the biggest areas of contention at the moment, uh, Steve. Are they they got it right this time? Anything they've missed? Well, geez, I hope they don't bring in the more thing this weekend for the Brumbies because <laughs> that uh, seems to be the only way they can score tries at the moment. Uh, scrum feeds, I think that's they always bring that up at any point of the season and you always see some uh, not straight feeds, let's put it that way. Um, and I think, well, we put, can we put tip tackles under that high tackles? Yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah. Yeah, there was another one on the weekend in Super Rugby where I think the bloke from the Stormers maybe? Yeah. Got, um, he ended six, up getting weeks six weeks. Six weeks, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah, and I think the message from the, uh, judicial officer was this extra two week deterrent thing they seem to have been adding on isn't deterring. Uh, yeah, isn't deterring, so maybe do they have to put extra on there, so. Uh, I don't know, but no one's getting the message there. But hopefully these uh, rules don't come in until after the Super Rugby's over. Okay, Dave, what about you, mate? Uh, yeah, look, I think they're all reasonable things for them to be looking at. But I was going to say the, the, the tip, they specifically only talked about the high tackles mm. in that review they wrote. And see, I, I mean, I think high tackles don't seem to be happening. They don't do that, yeah. It's not under 12s. A greater rate than, than previously. So... I I think the it's actually the clarifying the tip tackles and 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 how they're going to deal with them because they don't seem to be disappearing um, and uh, I think the the more ones interesting um, just insofar as I think it's been mooted for a while and they said they were going to start this review a few months ago so it's not new um, uh, and if you look at the examples they put on their website to explain these clarification or these um, areas they want to focus on there are a couple of things that have been raised by quite a lot of people recently in terms of how the malls are set up so it's going to be important for teams i think internationally i don't think it's going to affect the rest of the super rugby but for internationally to look carefully at what they're doing there because that uh, they could get themselves in a spot of bother if they don't um, tighten it up yeah indeed all right good stuff guys that was brilliant uh, now let's move forward guys two games this weekend uh, let's get into it the first game is on Saturday afternoon our time 
in Australia. Highlanders versus the Chiefs in Dunedin. Um, fant, I mean, what a what an absolute corker of a game as these New Zealand derbies generally are. Uh, Steve, talk us through your tip and and why, mate. I think the Highlanders have got a with the home that home stadium and slash zoo advantage they're going to have down there. I think that's going to get them up for it. I think the Chiefs have just been a little bit here not inconsistent, I guess, this year. So I think. Um, the Highlanders will get it, and they're not going to have to rest any of the Smiths, Fecky Toes, or whatever for this mm. game. So that'll give them the edge in this one by six points. What's your thoughts, Dave? I think the Highlanders will win this. I think they'll probably win it comfortably. Yeah, I think right. they, I think they could win it by going away a little bit. I, just, I reckon they've looked really impressive, um, especially in the last um, you know five six weeks, and the Chiefs have been a bit here and there. So uh, I think the Highlanders could really... I think they're, they're a bit of a smoky, you know. They could really take this one, and um, they're going to be a, a tough nut for anyone to play. Yeah, I think you're bang on, mate. I, I think the Highlanders will win this. I, I agree, as Steve's point. The Chiefs just have looked at a little bit of inconsistency. Uh, and you're right, mate. I mean, depending on the results of the Brumby Stormers game, but if the Highlanders win this and, uh, you know, if the Stormers get up over the Brumbies, it's the Hurricanes play the Highlanders, right? And that's... Uh, that's anyone's games there, but let's not get ahead of ourselves. So all three of us going Highlanders there. Uh, Steve, I'll let you talk to the Stormers Brumbies, mate. That's a, a massive challenge going over there to Cape Town for what uh, will be a one-off game. Yeah, it is. Uh, I think the, there are a couple of advantages for the Brumbies this year in that they have played the Stormers in Cape Town before. So uh, there won't be too much disruption in terms of preparation. I assume they'll stay at the same hotel and things like that, which will probably help them. Um, obviously, Christian Lealofano might be out having a few practice kicks yep. from certain positions on the field to erase the ghost of the, that game a few uh, weeks ago, which they lost by a point from a kick hit in the post. Uh, one also advantage for the Brumbies is that Dwayne Vermeulen is out, and he's been an absolute monster for them this year. Uh, and I think maybe it could be touch and go for him uh, for this game if it wasn't a World Cup year. But I think they're looking at the longer-term picture for that. So that's a couple of advantages for the Brumbies. But um, And also, I think Stormers resting their players last week, You know, that can either go one of two ways, uh, lose a bit of momentum um, and then come back a bit rusty. And hopefully that's probably how the, the Brumbies will want to catch them for this game. And you know, the Brumbies do have a quick start. Uh, like they did you know, on the weekend. They had a try within three minutes. So... They need to put the foot on the on the throat if they want to beat the Stormers, but you know I'm I'm pretty nervous about this one. Uh, so uh, I want to say Brumbies, but I think Stormers might get this one, and I think their kicking with Catra Killis might just yeah. get it over the line because you know, there's no bonus points in this one, yeah. and just kick for position, hope for some mistakes, and then just knock over a penalty and go from there. Yeah, I was going to say, mate. I think this is good. This is kicking is key now, isn't it? And Lilifano's yep. form is, is crucial to this, particularly when you're facing up to that Stormers unit. I'm fascinated about how they Stormers will bounce back from uh, last week when you know they, you know, I guess it's effectively a buy for a lot of them. But uh, just the psyche of the team in that one uh, will be interesting to see. Dave, what's your thoughts on this one? Well, yeah, it's a good point about the you know no bonus points, and it, it really goes back to being. Test match rugby. Yep. Um, I doubt the other preliminary finals going to be played like Test match rugby. Or New Zealand and, Test match rugby, at least. Yeah. 
but I, I think this one really will be, you know, you're going to have two packs really trying to grind the other down. And, you know, without Vermeulen, certainly it's hard to split them. Um, is, were there any injuries for the Brumbies from the last weekend that are an issue? Was Poe uh, Just, yeah, Poe had a concussion, head knock. Um, he should be right to go. Uh, he, didn't, right. he didn't look too too good at the end of the game. And Henry Spate copped a stinger on the shoulder trying to tackle yep. Nadolo, so... But I think anyone would have tried to tackle Nadolo. I think if they if they if they can field all the players they want to field, um, I think the Brumbies are a, big, a really good chance in this one. Um, I, I think they've they've got a pack to to match it with them. But uh, as Steve touched on, um, the kicking, the, the the accuracy and the, the the precision of the kicking in general play as well is going to be critical. So I think it'll be. This one's going to be tight. I really can't pick it. I'm going to go with the heart a little bit. This is, I say, Brumbies, just. Yeah, I'm definitely going with heart on this one, the Brumbies. I reckon they can do it. Um, it'll just be how uh, things click on the day and those little nuances that often pop up in those South African games. Um, we'll see how they go. And just add in, uh, Yako Popo has the ref yeah. that we saw for this one, so uh, there you go. Just Justifiable. <laughs> <laughs> Um, is, that, right. is that a preemptive strike? <laughs> <laughs> um, we'll, uh, and that wraps up the weekend, obviously, and we'll move into the semi-finals uh, the following weekend. Um, let's have a wrap a bit of a news, and we might go into a little bit more chat about this. Um, the other twenties Aussie teams have, uh, you know, lost out again. They've just beaten Scotland in a minor playoff game. I think next up we play Wales uh, for the fifth, sixth playoff. But uh, once a game, it seems we've been physically outplayed in the pack, at least. It's got to be a bit of concern for us, don't you think, uh, as our forwards, uh, you know, it's been a few years now since we've done anything at that under-20 level. No real clear answers, though, Dave. No, there aren't. I mean, I, was, I've, I haven't watched a heap of this, but I've watched bits and pieces. Um, I was watching a bit uh, at one stage today. Um, there's a bloke in the New Zealand pack who looks older than me. <laughs> he's got almost that's, less. That's he's got almost something. less hair than me. Like he's 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 got a big bald spot. Yeah, right. And I'm going, that's that. I just I was just shaking my head. I said that's yeah. just really sad to to be that bald at the age of 19. But um, I looked at some of those guys, and they're just. It's hard to not just see a bunch of super rugby players running around. I mean, yeah. they are they are some big, physical, skillful guys, and um. You know, in comparison, a lot of the a lot of the Australian forwards and the the bits I've seen just look to be you know an order of magnitude lighter, not just in the way they look, but the way they play. Um, and you know, and you look at England, same thing. Big physical guys, the South Africans. I mean, yeah, it's 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 amazing to think they're all under that. You know, these are all under twenties players because. Um, a lot, a lot of these guys wouldn't look out of place at, at um, first-class level. Yeah, it's fascinating, isn't it, uh, uh, Steve? I mean, we've got talent out there, and there's been some good performances in Jonah Placid and Andrew Kellaway, and, and definitely in the pack still, you know. Cameron Orr is one that, I, that has caught my eye. Yeah, the, yeah, true. The prop true. forward, I yep, think he's, yep. you know, he, he's exciting to watch, but um, we're still a bit off the pace with that top four sort of New Zealand, England, South Africa um, sort of thing, so... Yeah, I managed to catch a bit of the South Africa game um, the other morning and the scrums weren't pretty at all for, for the Aussies and I think that reflected on the scoreboard in the end. And um, 
like Dave said, some of those South African blokes, they look well well over 20, but um, looks good for them, but in the future, but not so great for, for the Aussies, unfortunately. Yeah, it's a shame. And would, I think, Steve, you're saying it looks like England will host the next one. Uh, next Junior World Cup as well. So it'd be great to have this tournament in Australia. You know, we obviously haven't had it yet, at least since it's gone to under-20s, but um, I don't think it's on the agenda for a little while, unfortunately. Oh, yeah, neither is the World Cup. Yeah, well, what is that? The 223 must yeah. be. It's been decided that uh, we won't bid for that one. We're going to support South Africa's bid. Um, you know, Australia's looking for an import of money, but that's uh, I look forward to the next one coming to Oz. Um, we talked about the Wallaby squad being announced this week. Obviously, a number of players from the Rebels, Reds and Force. I guess the new faces in the teams are the likes of uh, Alo Emil from the Rebels, which is good to see. He's played well, despite the fact he's going to France at the end of the year. He still deserves a spot. Toby Smith, the former uh, Kiwi uh, base player, is now with the Rebels, which is great. Samuel Karevi uh, with uh, the Reds, and obviously Carmichael Hunt, who we've spoken about. Um, and then Adam Coleman, uh, is the uh, is the other one uncapped player from the force, the big lock forward there, who's uh, has got plenty of potential there. So uh, plenty of experience, and, and like we say, that uh, that squad's going through a bit of a training camp uh, up in Ballymore uh, with uh, I guess some of the des- guest coaches. It's hard to uh, this is when it gets hard for Michael Chica, doesn't it? When he's uh, full focus on semi-finals. I guess this weekend he's got a bit of a break, but uh, even his uh, assistant coaches and, and Nathan Gray uh, and Steve Larkham, they're all caught up elsewhere, so that's why you got the likes of Stalsy coming in as a, as a guest coach. Yeah. Um, anything else, guys? Anything else catch your eye this week that uh, needs discussing? What about the jersey? Oh, the jersey, <laughs> yes. Oh, we, don't, we don't have to discuss it. I'm happy to not discuss it too much. Oh, look, I think it doesn't do moved, much for me. I think we've moved on. It's, uh, it's hard these days, isn't it? The uh, it's unfortunate they, they have to be much as much a fashion statement as anything else. And and, um, and I'm not yeah. sure what fashion statement that's know, making. Mate. I don't know. Yeah. It'll be a collector's item come uh, November once we've won it. So it'll, it'll yeah. be everyone will be lining up. Maybe it, the, maybe it looks better if it's ironed under glass. Oh mate, it'll look it'll look better if someone's holding a trophy next to it. That's that's about yeah, it. Um, true. And, and true. I think that's the only thing. It's only for the Rugby World Cup. I think we're wearing the you know the the previous ones for the rest of the, the for the Rugby Championship, but it's just for the Rugby World Cup. But anyway, I'm happy to move on from that situation. <laughs> um, Sorry, I brought it up. No, no, no. It obviously caused a bit of a stir in the AAU when it sort of we broke it online. I think one of our posters sort of the shop and. And, and flicked an image. We put it up on Facebook and Twitter, and all of a sudden the ARU and and um, and and relevant sponsors were uh, in a bit of a fluster. But uh, it's good to keep them on their toes. Mm-hmm. Um, that's pretty much it, guys. Uh, look, thanks for joining us, Dave, and uh, enjoy your week off uh, from a Waratah supporting perspective, mate. I, I will enjoy it. I'm just disappointed that um, I don't. I, I, Next weekend, I don't get the weekend off myself, <laughs> so I don't think I'm going to be able to go to the semi. You'll be working. Oh, that is not, yeah. not, not ideal, but um, there you go. And, Steve, big one for you, mate. How, how are you preparing for the big game? Oh, a couple of Red Bulls, I think, and coffees for the one o'clock start. <laughs> um, just another, can we give a shout-out to Waratah Jesus for his... Oh, oh, for easy, how did uh, we that? Why free game entertainment this? display. <laughs> <laughs> Good to see uh, you know, uh, the online petitions work. Yeah, well, good good work to New South Wales Rugby too. Credit to them. Uh, look, I, 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 you know, I supported it personally. I thought it was a great little, you know, 
Jesus is a really passionate. You won't find many more passionate uh, supporters in any code or, or any team. And and I thought it was a great link from you know that sort of community fan base to uh, the professional game. Uh, it was great for the Waratahs to to try something a little bit different and give uh, Jesus uh, Nick the uh, opportunity to take that ball out. Um, it was a, quite the effort from him uh, flying back from uh, I think he's over in North America somewhere to get back for the game. So. Sensational uh, experience for him, and, and well done to everyone who got behind it. I just hope he ran the ball out with the ball in two hands. Look, and it's fair to say that running might be a bit of an extreme way of describing what he did as well. So, you know, there was movement forward, but running might be a bit of a stretch. There's certainly photos to confirm that he had a pretty cavalier approach to holding the ball. <laughs> oh, he's been taught well then. Yeah. In the I think, you know, there might be a little um, note in the mail from checks just saying, <laughs> mate, it's not the way we do it. What a legend. Sensational. <laughs> uh, look, once again, a big thank you to the QRU uh, for their support of the podcast this month or so. A reminder to hurry up and buy your tickets to the Reds Long Lunch. Uh, I know they're selling fast and the event's uh, pretty much uh, just around the corner. I think it's almost a month today. So uh, get into it. We'll be back hopefully next week with another in our series of Rugby World Cup Legends. Just two positions to go. And we're finally into the Brains Trust, guys. We're in the front row as of next week, should schedules permit. Um, thanks for your time tonight again, Dave and Steve. And best luck to the Brumbies this weekend uh, up against the Stormers. And obviously, remember, get out there and support rugby at all levels this week, from juniors to seniors. Uh, there's plenty still on, even though there's no Super Rugby in Australia. Uh, thanks for your time, guys, and we'll see you next week. Thank you. Cheers, mate. Go the Ponies. Right there, right there.